Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Brandon. I'm your co-host, Ian. And I'm uh, today's guest, Paul, a.k.a. BC Beats. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D game. Nope. This episode is brought to you by Jeff Stevens. The Fruit of Evil. A halfling girl battling a rare disease that no magic can cure. A fruit which has the power to heal and the power to corrupt. Now guarded by mad siblings. A journey through a hostile forest, a trap tower, and a dungeon to retrieve the fruit to heal the young girl. Will your heroes be triumphant? Or will they perish while attempting to retrieve the mysterious fruit? Head on over to CritAcademy.com slash Jeff-Stevens to get your copy today. So thank you for joining us here today at Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles are like building a solo adventure without a good toolbox. It's true. A good scoot driver goes a long way. (laughs) (laughs) We got a really great episode for you guys today. Uh, We like to start our show off on a high note, and we do that by giving away uh, amazing uh, prizes. Uh, Every single episode, we give away three um, adventures, compliments of our sponsors. The first one is compliments of Goblin Stone. Each episode, we will draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned, compliments of Goblin Stone. Goblin Stone is a community project for D&D fans based out of the UK. They aim to be a place where you can team up with professionals to turn your ideas into high-quality products and give every fan a chance to get published. Be sure to head over to www.goblinstone.com or you can check out our fellowship link on our website, www.critacademy.com. Brandon, who's yep. our winner today? Our winner today is Nick Mellon. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside You gotta take a stand, it don't help to Congratulations, Nick Mellon. Please head on over uh, and leave Goblin Stone a review. If you do not know, one of the best things that you can do for a content creator is leave a review. It really goes a long way to helping them promote and improve their products. So definitely do that. So we got a really great show for you today. Obviously, we have an amazing uh, special guest. We're super excited. So welcome back, Paul. Thank you. If you're just listening for the first time, uh, Paul was on episode 71, I believe, uh, solo D&D solo adventure. So definitely head back and check that episode out. On today's show, we have our Let's Talk About Blank segment. We have a question in regards to pilfering uh, from the Rogue, which is kind of a thing. Our main topic is going to be the Solo Adventurer's Toolbox. I'm really excited to uh, talk to uh, Paul about that, so thank you for joining us. And then, of course, we have our final segment, our Unearthed Tips and Tricks, where we bring you new and reusable material for you to bring with you on your next adventure. But before all that, we spend a few minutes talking about what's or what's going on in our realms. Paul, what's going on in your realm? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, um, just working hard on my next solo show. Really, uh, it's a sequel to uh, an adventure that I've got up on the guild called Tables of Doom. Uh, this one's called Tables of Doom Two, and yeah, hard at work at that. It's a, it's a little bit of a different thing. Um, the first uh, Tables of Doom was. 
as the name suggests, a whole lot of tables that trigger random encounters within the context of a solo adventure. This one um, uses a standard deck of playing cards. So as you're going through, you're given directions to uh, draw cards and uh, different cards trigger finding items and monster encounters and that sort of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. D&D, the, fr- the framework of D&D, but randomized. Uh, it's called, the full name of it is uh, Tables of Doom 2, Crypt of the Deceiver. Huh, the way you described it, remind me of the uh, PC game uh, Hand of Fate. Ooh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh man, um, there will be a link in the show notes to uh, Tables of Doom. The, the first one, the first yes. one. Um, yeah, the, and I'm, it's the sequel that I'm working on at the moment. So, yeah, wonderful. I'll make sure the link is uh, for our listeners there. <laughs> cool. Ian, what's going on in your room? Oh, not. I actually did a few things over the weekend. One thing I did was I actually went to a tavern con up in Bay City. And the biggest reason I went there was so I could play some Starfinder, which I love playing, but I was never get the opportunity to do so because I find it to be a pretty fun sci-fi game. Mm-hmm. Brandon, what's going on in your realm? <laughs> uh, not too much. I helped Justin with a uh, haunted trail this last weekend. Yes. You mean actually, yesterday? It was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it was this weekend still. Yeah, so. I guess. Yeah. And that was fun. It was cold and wet. I got to be a dragon and scare kids. Yeah, he dressed up as a dragon, had a big old wingspan and everything, was gnawing on skeletal bones. It was pretty fantastic. Did you have fun? Yeah, I had fun. Well, I'm glad you came. Thank you for helping. Oh, there. There's almost what happened. Oh, yeah, I was. Uh, I started working on Durzo's commission. It's ready to be inked and colored now. Wonderful. It looks good. <laughs> What's going on in your realm? So I had Just a joygasm this week. Din. Um, anybody that's ever listened to my, I don't know if I've ever, I'm pretty sure I've talked about Phantom Dust on the show. Yes. One of my favorite games all time is Phantom Dust. It's this, you cast spells, you send fireballs, and then you have to, you know, block, like trigger block with shields by pressing them before the impact and all this really cool stuff. I saw this trailer for a pre-alpha game called Spellbreak. Yeah. It a hundred percent reminds me of that. It did. And never in my history of gaming have I ever wanted to uh, buy into a pre-alpha <laughs> Ever. And it's a battle royale. <laughs> I was ready to drop a hundred bucks. The only reason I didn't get into it is because they sold out before I got home. So I was devastated. <laughs> but I've been following on Twitter and commenting and posting. I've been way more active on that shit than I should be. It, so I'm super excited for that. So that's what happened. <laughs> yes. It's a battle royale. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's an arena, just like Phantom Dust is. But you mix and match, like your gauntlets are magical, and you mix and match the different elements. So if I do like an acid glove and a fire glove, I can shoot like these acid pits and then light the bastards on fire with the fire glove. And you can in, you can interact the different magical effects to get like combination effects. Which is awesome. That sounds fun. I remember Hell I, yeah. I remember I, well, when I watched the footage and like the description of it, my, my friends were like, you know, the Battle Royale game I want is a superhero one, which no one's made, but this seems pretty dang close. It is pretty close. <laughs> so, so I'm super excited for that. <laughs> I know that's not D&D related, but I was really geeking out about it. So, Well, I think that'll do it for In the Realm. Um, Ian, if they'd like to visit other realms, how can they do so? They can visit other realms by... Going to our website, CritAcademy.com, and they can click the link that takes them to Audible, where they can get a free 30-day f- free trial and a free book. Audiobook, that is. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So moving on to our, our next topic, we have our Let's Talk About Blank. This question comes to us from Raluca M. Hi, guys. Me and my friends just started playing D&D, and I got to be the DM. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> 
We started just playing the Lost Minds of Phandelver. After defeating a monster, the rogue asked, uh, check the monster's pocket secretly for loot for himself. One of the other guys started arguing with him and said he shouldn't do that. In the end, as I, w- <clears throat> in the end, as I was not really sure how to proceed, I asked him to make a stealth check and he failed and had to split the loot with the party. The rogue's explanation was that he doesn't know yet the other party members and he's a criminal background what do you guys think about this situation paul if you'd like to um let us know i know you have a lot of experience uh with this i'm sure how would you handle this um i'd probably use the other player's passive perception um and just maybe get the rogue to make a secret stealth roll to the gm um and then which is very easy to do on roll 20 um but uh yeah and then just check that against the other players passive perception to see if anyone or ask for a perception roll but uh yeah um it's all it's never a good idea for the rogue to get into that secret looting and i'm not a not a big fan of it as a dm is there a particular um, reason why kind of to alienate the party the rest of the, but if that's the route they want to take then you know you gotta you gotta make it happen i guess yeah, um, what do you guys think? I do think the player's explanation is reasonable. Like, it's like, I am a rogue, I do have a criminal background, and I don't know this, these people, and I don't have any reason to, to trust them in particular, so I can see how he could be behaving that particular way. <laughs> right. I think they handled it the way it should have been handled, was that the other players were arguing against it, and she let them do it anyway. And then called for a check that, unfortunately, didn't fall in the rogue's favor. Yeah. And because of that, the party's like, no, 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 asshole. Yeah. You're not taking our <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, you know how it is. He, there's only one thing you can do when they're all dead. Look at their packets for loose change. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I, kinda, I, I agree with you, Paul. I do think that actions like this uh, alienate the party. Um, it, uh, Raluca, if you're listening to this... The best thing you could do is talk it over with your party members about how they feel about that sort of stuff and kind of come to a consensus whether it's going to be allowed and if it is, to what degree. Because personally, as a player, if I kept killing shit and not finding loot and not getting any value and then all of a sudden the the, the dagger guy here is damn near immortal with a super fucking cape, dag- magical daggers and a, uh, a fucking ring of FU, I mean, I would be pretty, <laughs> I'd be pretty pissed off. So th- I think that's something you want to approach um, to the entire crew. I think that's usually a discussion that happens in session zero mm-hmm. where before you're ready to start the st- start the campaign. Um, but I do think you handled it uh, appropriately. I think in fifth edition, the appropriate check would probably be like a sleight of hand check specifically but uh you you let the dice tell the story and i think that is the best thing you could have done um i agree with paul using the passive perception is probably the thing that made the most sense in that uh in that particular situation and it fit with the theme of your character but keep in mind with a theme like that you're depending on how often you do that, you're probably not going to be an adventurer with the party for very long. And keep in mind, actions do have consequences. Oh, yeah. If they catch you doing it, oh, 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 you better bet your ass they're going to slit your throat. Well, I guess it depends on what you're taking. Probably not like a quarter or something, but or a a copper piece, but... That'd be a great magic item. (laughs) The ring of F.U. (laughs) A ring worn on your middle finger, and once per day, when you flip off a monster or a creature that you can see, it has disadvantage on its next attack roll against you. (laughs) Against anybody else except for you. It's a taunt. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that'll do it for our Let's Talk About Blank segment. Uh, thank you very much for your submission, uh, Raluca. If we answer, didn't answer your question, please send a letter to the complaint department with a $5 check attached, and we will expedite your uh, complaint to the front of the trash can. <laughs> all right. Moving on to our main topic, and really the the big the big reason why why, why we're all here, and, and mostly why Paul is here. Um, our main topic today is the Solo Adventurers Toolbox. Um, we're going to be interviewing its creator, uh, Paul, aka BC Beats. Um, so we want to we want to thank you for joining us once again. I'll mention uh, you previously were on the show, uh, episode seventy one. Definitely check that out. I got a lot of awesome uh, experience going through your adventures. So thank you for giving us that opportunity. For uh, we really enjoyed it. No, and thank you for having me on the show again. It's um, it's hugely appreciated. <laughs> Thanks for coming back. <laughs> so before we really get into the nitty gritty, um, do you want to uh, spend a few minutes and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your solo adventures? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, uh, as you probably told from my uh, accent, I, uh, I'm from New Zealand and a creative writer, role player for a, a long time, um, since since the 80s, really. Uh, 84 was when I got in. Um, and also a, a huge fan of game books and board games and everything kind of role-playing related. So um, have you guys heard of the series uh, Fighting Fantasy Game Books? Steve Jackson Steve and Jackson Livingston. Stuff? Yep. Yes, Hang sir. on, just bear with me a second. Yeah, um, there's all sorts of... I've got a huge collection of game books. Here's a, a really good one. Fabled Lands. Mm-hmm. Um, seven seven uh, books in this series. And it's basically just like a huge world uh, done in game book style, basically. So it'll tell you, you go to the century um, to explore here or um, say go to book five, the century to continue adventure. And so, you know, I'm a huge fan of these, these game books. And um, when fifth edition came out uh, and, you know, I had a little bit of a hiatus from D&D, got back into it with fifth edition and... Um, just saw that there wasn't really the solo adventure market wasn't really being catered for at all. So um, that's when I just threw myself into into writing adventures and and that sort of thing. So um, and here we are now. And I think solo adventures are something we haven't really seen in a, in a while either. And a lot of people underestimate yeah. them. So right. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, they came they came up in some of the earlier editions, like the red box and stuff. Right. Especially yeah. especially to uh, yeah. teach players a game. Yeah, that was my first experience with D&D, was playing the little uh, solo adventure that got included with the red box. And let's face it, so, as yeah, kids, that... I think all of us love those uh, Choose Your Own Adventure books. This mm-hmm. seems to be that, just oh, better. <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, actually, your uh, your solo adventure format was actually the inspiration for a panel that we ran at a convention. <laughs> um, we never and, did finish wait, adventure, did we? Well, had to go back to Shudokan. <laughs> Um, so we we actually took your idea and molded our own adventure, and we let the audience choose the big decision points. It was really fun. We had a blast. Oh yeah, oh, cool. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, I think maybe we can run a st- live stream for that. That would be cool. That would be cool. Oh, I we made could a, do that for episode one hundred. I made a giant d twenty for them to roll, and I think I may have jacked up the geometry of it because it kept rolling ones, sixteens, and seventeens. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Um, so um, I just. Uh, I just wrote an Eberron solo adventure recently, which a lot of people have told me is my hardest solo adventure I've ever written. 
Uh, it's called the Savior of Shan. So if you want to, um, I think that'd be good for that format because uh, there's a, a lot of a lot of death in that adventure. It's, uh, it's pretty hard. I love death. Um, if you want yep. to send a link to that through the Facebook, I'll include it in the show notes. So, uh, in all your time playing D and D and 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 other role playing games, have you ever failed as a DM or a player? And is there any? Uh, and what did you learn from that experience? No. <laughs> 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 Honestly, didn't expect that. It, it was the reaction on the camera that made it better. Just how he like leaned fail. into it was like, I don't no. Fail <laughs> Fair enough. My players call me Almighty One. That should give you some indication. Almighty One. Yeah. So do they like how good I am? Do they like <laughs> slaughter lambs and and beckon to your greatness before the session my, starts? My my biggest fail was a probably accidental TPKs. I think where <laughs> I, um, I I don't spend quite enough as much time as I should balancing an encounter and uh, yeah kill one or two players but um yeah not that doesn't happen that's it's been a long time since that's happened so so, so you've learned something oh yeah I've learned to actually take the time to uh, page eighty two of the DMG figure out all the encounter thresholds make sure it's all you know, and just have a, a, a pre-made list of, uh, you know, easy, medium, hard, deadly, and what that might consist of. And just actually pre-list the combos that I can use for those encounter levels. Um, it just makes it, I can really quickly put an encounter get an encounter together for my group type thing. So, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, moving forward, tell us about the Soul Adventurers Toolbox. Sure. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> basically, uh, uh, for anyone who's played my um, solo adventures before, you know that uh, within those, there's always a limited amount of choices as to what you can do within the adventure. Like, you'll get to a junction, and it will say, you know, can you go? You can go north, take the north path, the west path, or the east path. Um, and so the the toolbox is a a huge range of different uh, tables, mechanics, that sort of thing, that kind of attempts to create an environment where you can make any decision in a solo adventuring um, context, where you're not limited by the narrative text. So, um, have you guys? Have you must have heard of Mythic GM Emulator? Yep. You heard of that? I heard that um, from it, when you shared it with us when you were on the episode the last time. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so basically, it's a way of getting uh, answers so, uh, to, to any question you might want to ask. So um, hang on. I've got my journal here because I have <clears> – <throat> I do a lot of solo adventuring. And I basically created the toolbox to um, – could um, do a lot of solo adventuring in my own time. Uh so, for example, a, partic- a, uh, a question might be, so just recently my uh, three characters were investigating a uh, town called Norengate where um, some creatures from, it's the equivalent of the Underdark in my world, in the Nameless Depths, uh, they'd ex- escaped and they were rampaging through the town, um, you know, several of these monsters killing things and um, killing the citizens who, who a lot of them had fled. So they made their way into the town and started searching around. Couldn't find anything. 
they came to a public square, this one containing a jailhouse. Uh, they can hear the inmates inside. Like bait, Rawley remarks grimly. So I always do journaling when I'm solo adventuring, just to keep track of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jail stands against the wall. They make, the, the, they make their, way, their way forward. And then I ask the question of the system, do the prisoners sound distressed? Um, so now a D20 roll will give me the answer to that question. Um, so one to six is a no, seven to 12 is a maybe, 13 to 20 is a yes. Um, and then there's likelihood modifiers. So depending on circumstances, there might be, if the, if the outcome is likely, then it's plus two. If the outcome is very likely, plus four. If it's a certainty, then it's plus six. So I rolled, I got a natural 20. Um, so yes, they sound very distressed. They're screaming, they're freaking out. There's definitely something in there. So they went in there and combat began. So, um, that, that's a question answer mechanic that's, um, that is part of it. Uh, there's also a huge range of tables, um, like, uh, random encounter tables. There's a D100 table for random encounters in wilderness setting, uh, dungeon setting and urban setting. Uh, NPC tables to generate any amount of NPCs you might need to use. Uh, there's a, I'm not sure if you guys know the, uh, the random dungeon generator and the DMG. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a version of that. I've got my own random dungeon generator in there. Uh, there's also one thing that I spent quite a bit of time on. I'm quite, quite proud of is a, uh, a random wilderness generator, which is kind of like a, like, uh, exploration, hex crawling. Um, but you discover the terrain as you journey through it and um, there's major features, there's minor features and there's potential for encounters built into all those locations. And um, yeah, there's, and there's quite a, it's, it's 17, uh, 16 chapters long. Yeah, it's big. Uh, so it's like what? 17 chapters long, yeah. Uh, 167 pages. Yeah. And um, I think I've just about got every aspect of uh, that you could possibly need for freeform solo adventuring. Thought of a few things since that I'm going to use for volume two, which okay. I'm going to work on next year. But yeah. Wow. Um, so you mentioned the journaling. It sounded like you were reading something. Is that something you wrote out as you're you're doing the adventure? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I got my got my little exercise book here, and I just uh, have my character sheets glued in the back, so I don't have to sort of be referencing those. And yeah, and I just handwrite notes. Um, it's for, I, I do all my soloing in my homebrew world so that I can, um, fill in details and flesh out my homebrew world as I'm going through it. So I'm kind of, you know, it's, it's filling two, two purposes at once kind of thing. So yeah, I just use a school, a school exercise book and just write as I go. Not every single aspect, like if my characters might go into a dungeon, I'm not like I'll go to a, a junction and take the left turn and then take the right turn. I'll, I'll kind of do a lot of uh, a lot of summing up. But yeah, I think um, when you're doing that solo adventuring, uh, journaling just helps to make it um, a bit more concrete, you know, a bit more tangible. Sure. So, now, yeah. that, that's really interesting because I've always perceived journaling and writing as something for the team to remember all the important details, but it sounded like you're doing it in such detail that you almost have a short story at the end of it. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I I could easily take this and turn it into a piece of fiction and 
Or um, so the cool. other the other sort of benefit of the style of solo adventuring is as a DM, I can now go back and turn that into an adventure for a party. Um, I mean, I'm I'm taking I'm soloing with three PCs myself, so you know um, I could you you add have as many pieces, yeah, and and it will already be balanced for that amount of PCs at that level, kind of thing. So you're running an entire like yeah. party yourself. Is that right? I'm soloing with three characters. That's right. So I that's confusing. That, that's what I was going to say. Is that? Is that, so that? I don't think so. Actually, that's not difficult at control, all. No, not at all. I'm controlling three PCs. Uh, yeah, you just instead of controlling one PC, you're controlling three, and it's it's the same. You're making the decisions for those PCs um, in, according to uh, their own priorities and that sort of thing. And you're kind of playing the role of ODM at the same time, right. um, just because sometimes there'll be, yeah. But the the whole point of the um, system is unpredictability. So uh, you never actually know, even though you're running the adventure, you yourself don't know what's around the next corner, kind of thing. So that's that's, that's how the system's set up. It's set up to randomly generate as you adventure through. So yeah, that's a lot of the problem with soloing. Uh, using pre-made adventures is that to a certain extent you kind of need to know what's around the next corner. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, that's not ideal because um, discovery is a big part of D&D, right? Exploration, right. discovery. So it needs to kind of have that element of unpredictability. So I think, I think I've achieved that. I'm kind of envious of you. I'm going to be honest. I think you have nailed how to get all the characters to work in unison. <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the great thing, the other great thing about solo adventuring is always your turn. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, and how would you say generating encounters for a solo adventure is different from having the uh, normal encounter building and by extension quests? Um, good question. Yeah, it is different. Um, if you're if you're soloing with one PC, you have to be very very careful. Um, you know, if you I find that with writing my own, with writing solo adventures, you have to be very careful um, with balance, super careful, because there's only one one PC. Um, so all XP gets multiplied by 1.5, even if there's only one uh, creature in the encounter. Uh, the multiplier is 1.5 because um, the party. Uh, the party member is, you know, there's only one party member. And I think that rule is, uh, it's in Xanathar's or, or Mordenkainen. It's one of those. It's a little bit of an extra tweak to those XP threshold guides given in the DMG. Um, yeah, reason um, I solo with three PCs is so I can actually have full-blown encounters kind of thing. But, yeah, you do um, have to be very careful. So a single-level four PC um a CR1 monster is going to be a pretty decent challenge for, um, you know, a level four or, you know, a CR1 or CR2 is going to be, it's going to be a decent fight for a level, a single level four PC. So you, um, yeah, balance becomes very, very important. Uh, I use a lot of, um, playtesters. I've got like a small playtest army, <laughs> as a matter of fact, um, <laughs> that I'll, I'll pass out my adventures to and they run through it. Um, there's some really committed guys in there who will run through my adventure for me, 
like three, four, five times, checking every single encounter, making sure it's all balanced. So um, by the time it gets to the players, um, they know they're getting a, a really balanced adventure. Um, so, yeah. On the topic of encounters, how do you deal with monster tactics? Without a DM behind the behind the, the control of the creatures, how do you ensure smart, competitive play? Okay, great question. Yeah, because um, with solo adventuring, uh, encounters can, combat encounters can tend to evolve into sort of like stand adjacent and bash kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, no, what, I, what I've done is I've included a chapter in the toolbox. It's called um, What Do the Monsters Do? And um, basically that's... That um, it's uh, a bunch of tactics and, and a bunch of D100 rolls. So I'll just pull it up, actually. Um, let's see. So the first thing um, that's uh, determined in uh, the Monster Tactics chapter is um, uh, distance of the monster from the PCs. And... I've got a few to determine that. You can just simply a die roll. Uh, you can determine it with stealth. Um, and then I've got a few different tables that talk about intentions and tactics. So a D100 roll. So a roll of zero, um, of one to four, uh, which I got the other day. Um, monster flees, scared witless at the sight of you. Um, five to nine, monster is curious. Stay some distance away, checking you out before approaching. Uh, if a beast may be open to befriending, uh, make charisma check with advantage. If, if successful, you could take his companion. Oh, uh, 14, monster will stalk you, always staying well out of range, perhaps waiting for you to become wounded or disadvantaged in some way. Do, do. So 15, 19, <laughs> monster will stat and make ranged attacks, picking away at you. If you try to come near, it will flee. Uh, and, but the main one is 30, a roll of 31 to 70 will be monster simply attacks purely out of instinct. So that's the one that you're going to get most of the time. Sure. Um, so, yeah, and that's the one that generally tends to come up most of the time. Right. Yeah, right. so there's a few different things. And then round by round, I've got mon a monster reaction table. So, um, I love so it. So, for example, one to four, a D100 table, one to four. If monster is dropped to less than percent HP, it flees, uh, provoking an attack of opportunity if necessary, taking double movement. Um you know, there's opportunities for intimidation. Uh, if you scored 50% or more of the creature's HP and damage during the last round, creature makes a wisdom check. Uh, if it fails, the creature disengages and then moves away. Um, if combat has not started, the monster is busy with something else and does not initially see the PC as a threat. Uh, if the PC does not attack, they can probably pass without any incident. So, uh, but then 33 to 72, again, creature uses its main attack. So, you know, um, you roll, you're rolling for monster tactics and monster intentions, but generally speaking, it's going to attack because, you know, um, we were given a, um, the, all DMs Guild creators a little while ago were given a bunch of style guides by Wizards of the Coast. Um, well, not we weren't given them by Wizards of the Coast, but they put out one for the Dems Guild creators, and it just said um, monsters, monsters are there to kill, basically, um, and to be killed. So, that, and and treasure is there to be gotten from the monsters, and it just really stripped it down to the essence of D and D, you know. And 
when you're writing adventures, keep these things in mind, that sort of thing. So um, you know, mainly it's um, the monster will attack, but there's other, other things that may happen as well. And when they happen, it provides a bit of variety to the encounters and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I have tried to get some monster tactics in there. So this is this is these are really interesting. I think this is a very cool way to handle it because it's turned to the 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 point of the the, the dice roll um, mm. gives you that randomness, and that was one of the things I was originally concerned about when I was playing uh, um, uh, a solo adventure. Is okay if I'm fighting the monster and the monster's just going to attack. There's not. There isn't any strategy here, but you've developed a table that really gives that character options, even if the larger portion of it is just taking an attack action. Um, so I think that that is really, uh, really cool and, and, and very well yeah. done. Yeah. So I, <laughs> um, so I, I think that's really cool. And honestly, uh, I think that uh, that was actually one of the things originally when I first heard about D&D uh, solo adventures that I was concerned about because... Uh, early on before I played your, um, death Knight squire and, and you handled that really, really well. Uh, and the other thing in kind of regards to encounters, um, is there a way to deal with multiple options? Like, let's say I bring a wizard to the, to the, the, to the adventure. Um, Mm-hmm. How have you approached the fact that he's not strength based or um, he's not a, a lock pick? I mean, how does your how does your your toolbox? Is there anything in your toolbox to 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 say okay, this is what you have to deal with when you have specific characters? Because you know, if you bring the big dumb brute, he's not going to be able to figure out a complex puzzle. So how does how does does your toolbox address something like that? Hmm. Good question. Um, basically, um, the the thing that springs to mind is that um, I've and I mentioned this several times throughout the toolbox. Some as like the pseudo DM of your solo adventure, you have more knowledge than the that you're using in the solo adventure has. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that it's like okay, um, there's a like for example, very often. Um, there'll be a secret door in a dungeon that you've determined through using the random dungeon generator. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your PCs are actually going to find that secret door um, or even know to look for it type thing. So, um, yeah, basically, um, in terms of um, characters, I quite often uh, <clears throat> I quite often will use the question-answer mechanic to determine whether um, things occur to them or I might for example make uh, my you know for the you know you mentioned a, a barbarian uh, to see if he actually has the intellect to um, figure something out just make a straight wisdom or an, you know a straight intelligence check to see if he actually figures that out you know um, right and in terms of DC I've um, I've just reprinted in there the uh the, the dc guide from the dungeon master's guide which is um where is that i'll, I'll just pull that up actually um let's see skill checks it is expected that as you play you will make skill checks as you see appropriate for your pcs for this purpose and if no other option is apparent you can use the dcs given on page 238 of the dungeon master's guide as your guide mm-hmm. so you know dc5 very easy dc10 easy 
moderate 15, hard 20, very hard, nearly impossible 30. So, um, right. yeah, I, I reprint that in there. And also, um, all throughout, um, I cite the DMG throughout the book because there's a huge amount of solo resources, uh, solo adventure resources in the Dungeon Master's Guide, you know, mm-hmm. um, that I hope will, um, you know, players will go through the toolbox and go, Dungeon Master's Guide has a random dungeon generator and it's got loot tables that I can use in solo adventuring and it's got ways that I can determine the nature of stillness and, um, you know, right. all this other stuff. I'm going to go and get a Dungeon Master's Guide. Great. Uh, and then all of a sudden they've become de- Dungeon Masters themselves, you know, because they, they realize how much fun it is to create their own worlds and that sort of thing. I'm not sure if that actually answers your question, but... Um, <laughs> But yeah, sometimes you'll have more knowledge, yeah. basically. The one thing that I think is interesting about Soul Adventures, at least when I ran Death Knight Squire, is that because there isn't a group of players, when I failed a check, I didn't just keep trying until I succeeded. I used that knowledge to push my character in another direction to bypass that challenge. And I might have touched on that when we discussed it when it first came out, because that was the one thing that really stood out about it, my, about it when I played it myself, is that, oh, I failed. Well, I could roll again, but that's yeah. my character has no. No, he fucking he tried to knock, uh, you know, solve the puzzle and couldn't figure it out. So looks shit clear. Out of luck. Yeah, you know, hey, no traps. Okay, I'm gonna move forward. You know, and that's something that I think with in D and D naturally occurs where oh, the thief checked for crap traps and rolled really low. I want to check too. You know, and in in, yeah, yeah. in reality, if the professional trap detector tells you it looks clear. Nine times out of ten, you're going to be like, okay, let's go. And that's something I think that really stands out in a solo a adventure. A professional trap detector. Yeah. Just, just, a, just Barbarian? a second. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? That's funny. Yeah. No, you, you did right, you know, and um, that's that's the thing. Uh, it, you, you kind of do have to be like a, a pseudo DM in these adventures, you know, so it's... It's, it's just that you, you kind of have to wear two hats right. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Barbarian, check your traps. Kaboom! Clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll take that next one. Yep. That's funny. And how would you handle interactions with shopkeepers and merchants and uh, what inventory they carry? Okay. I got you covered. <laughs> I, got <a> cha- <laughs> I got a chapter called Merchants and Shopping. Welcome, uh, stranger. What are you yeah. buying? <laughs> Yeah. I had to. Uh, so, yeah, um, you can get as detailed as you want. Um, a lot of – I've got here a DC for occurrence of merchants institutions based on settlement size. So there's a list of every type of merchant you could imagine uh, and the likelihood of that merchant appearing in a small settlement, hamlet, village, town, city, or metropolis. So obviously um, it's going to be – pretty hard to find spell tomes and scrolls in a small settlement or hamlet so the dc for that is for a hamlet it's 19 for a small settlement it's 20 um but if you you know you know you might come into a small settlement oh i want to figure out if there's any um places selling spell tomes roll natural 20 oh my god so there's actually a there's a, a magician here who's set up a little shop in this tiny little not even a hamlet selling uh spell scrolls you know so the (laughs) the possibility is there um then um there's another table after that so as you might have guessed by now um there's just 
oodles of random tables. Uh, quality of merchant, you know, atrocious, poor, medium, good, excellent. DC for finding items by merchant quality. Um, and then there's um, NPC generators so you can figure out who's running the shop. Uh, and there's a, a chapter there too about um, uh, interactions with NPCs, you know, ro role play basically mm -hmm. in the solo format and getting people to sort of go along with, with your agenda and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, again, um, a lot of it can come back. You can fall back. If unsure, you can always fall back on the question-answer rolls, uh, that D20 roll, which in, myth in the Mythic system, it's a D100 roll. So I've basically taken the Mythic uh, method of question-answer rolls, and, uh, which is with a D100 and uh, quite involved and uh, has a chaos factor as well, which is quite cool, um, and just uh, used a D20 roll, a very, very stripped down system that you can, that um, is very easy to remember what the modifiers are and all that sort mm -hmm. of thing. So, yeah. Does that cover that yeah, question? Yeah, yeah. No, you nailed it. Um, that's, uh, there's, there's a method to my madness and, and we'll get to it later. Um, Got a lot of good things on sale, yeah. stranger. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I mainly like Resident Evil 4. We, we we mentioned you you've got kind of tables and stuff to to deal with those interactions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do or what do you say to players who say one of the missing elements from solo plays is role playing? How do you role play with a bunch of mechanics? Otherwise, you're just pretty much talking to yourself, right? <laughs> I so, do that. So a Tuesday, a Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, and I'm, as an answer, I'm going to read to you from the introduction to my chapter, Roleplay in the Solo Format. Uh, the one element that many players have said is missing from solo gaming is the element of roleplay. This is just part, part and parcel of the format. How do you roleplay with a bunch of mechanics? The simple answer is, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's honest and right up front about it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so, so basically... Um, I guess in the solo format, um, role play can mean playing your characters true to form. So even though you know that the wisest decision uh, for your barbarian, as you mentioned before, might not be to step straight onto the pressure plate, <laughs> that might just be exactly what they do, what they do you know. So um, it's a um, – so, yeah, I think – I've got a system here that I've developed, um, a system of solo role play that I've created is structured around roles to determine the outcome of interactions. Your PC is trying to get whoever they are interacting with to agree with them, in italics, agree. In the context of the system, agreeing means one of the following things, concurring with their opinion, going along with course of action they're seeing, bending to their will, providing details or information requested by the PC. So first friend or foe, that must be established or neutral. Uh, then charisma modifiers, um, you know, persuasion, intimidation, deception, uh, and an emotional modifier, the NPC. So I've got a list of pretty much every emotion you could think of and what modifier is for that. And then you make a, a, a QA role, a question-answer role, based on those modifiers to see if the if the NPCs in alignment in alignment with you or whether they just you know aren't taking a shine to you at all or or however the situation might go kind of thing. 
You know, Kev- yeah. you know, Kevin, the summer vein too, just reminds me of like this introduction. It, I don't think it just applies to solo adventures though, in the sense of like, okay, there's no role playing here because let's face it, you're always going to run to that player who has the mentality of it's called role playing, not role playing being R O L L. And I think a lot. Yeah, of people, right, right. <laughs> and I think a lot of people forget those. Like, I'm sorry, dude, but that's kind of a dumb phrase because both are legitimate methods to play the game, and both yeah. have equal opportunities to have fun. And I think people forget that sometimes. Mm. I, I also think, like, because I've thought about this in depth, and um, role playing. I mean, you're controlling you're controlling PCs in an imaginary fantasy world. Yeah, that is role playing. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. You're so, re- regardless of the fact whether you're getting like deep into the character, and um, you know, as a player, I've always struggled with the whole kind of like, you know, the whole the the voice thing, that sort of thing. It's um, so, but you know, you're controlling a PC, you're making decisions for them. Um, mm-hmm. That's role playing, you know, right. and in my book, you know, Dungeons and Dragons has a lot of different aspects to it and all of them you could say fall under the banner of role playing i um, think yeah uh i i agree 100 percent. there's more to it and i, I think we've uh, uh ian and i have had a discussion about this numerous yeah. times on the show that i know one of your favorite parts is the combat and the numbers and the building a big powerhouse right yeah and the other thing too is like mm-hmm. in that same vein a lot of people forget that Dungeons and Dragons originated from wargaming. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I, on the other hand, am less interested in that stuff. And it, and it reflects in a lot of the characters I run, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't, that's not something that interests me as much, but I understand that that is part of the game that people love. And let's face mm. it, too. Like, there's a, some times where, like, you run to a guy, you need information. Some mm-hmm. car- player may go, you know what? If you don't talk to us, if you don't give us the information, we are going to turn you into the police. Whereas some of the players just may go, I real to intimidate, and there's yeah. honestly nothing wrong there's, with either approach. You're you're not wrong. That's wow. and and I think this tool, um, the 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 solo adventures as a whole, as well as the toolbox, are really good ways to experiment and, and really discover yourself a little better. Because when mm-hmm. you're playing by yourself. It, I love to read. So being able to interact, like there's been so many times where I've been reading a book. And I'm like, don't, what the hell's wrong with you? You wouldn't do that. Don't do that. And this really gets me involved in that. And I get to make that decision. I get to drive the story. I get to be in charge. And that's one thing I think makes solo adventures um, awesome. And, and I think that um, that's probably why you have such a good untapped resource because I haven't seen really any other than the ones you put out. So um, that being said, um, I think you, you did a really great job. I think this is an amazing tool. I have to ask, would you agree that while targeted for solo play, this massive collection of, of tables is a, a valuable tool for, for any DM, whether they plan to use it just for solo adventures or not? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's certainly how I intended it to be, to have that dual purpose. You know, um, while I was writing it, I was definitely had in mind I want this to be useful for my fellow DMs as well. Um, so where where I sort of, um, I you know, added a little bit of extra detail here and there that I knew DMs would find useful, kind of thing, uh, especially in the wilderness exploration tool, um, which. Uh, for example, just to break that down, um, you've got your overarching terrain, 
Um, so you've got Arctic, coastal, desert, forest, jungle, grassland, hills, mountain, and swamp. And as you um, move through those, uh, move through that, every five miles you make a D100 roll. Uh, and um, often you'll get continuation of the same terrain, but every now and then, uh, you know, 50% of the time you'll get a minor feature because, you know, if you think about, say, five miles of forest, that's actually quite a big distance. Um, so, like, just heading to um, the forest table, you might roll, uh, you might get a clearing, small clearing, large clearing, small wooded gully, large wooded gully, waterway, lake, clear field area, rocky outcrop, swamp, unmarked forest settlement, structure, monument, monster lair, interesting landscape feature. And there's a table for all of those things as well. So you roll swamp, you go to the swamp minor feature table. Uh, and then there's notes on um, standard swamp, 25% uh, easy encounter, thick, dense swamp, almost impossible to traverse, standing in all directions forward, extremely di difficult terrain, movement slowed to quarter of normal, hard encounter 50%. So, you know, it's if you are constructing a wilderness as a DM, that's, I think, a, a really useful um, collection of tables. And even oh, yeah. if you're the type of DM that likes to sort of run improv, adventures as they're going through you can just um you know make a obviously creating the maps for this is uh is something you might want to do beforehand but you know you can say oh you've blundered into a swamp you know like um and now um you're being attacked by this creature or that creature so you know there's i i think it's i think there's a lot of useful stuff there for dms and um it was definitely um intended that way in fact uh non-zero sum games is a website did a review and it was a really short review it just said must for players a must for dms so i thought that was that, that was pretty complimentary that, that yeah. nails it it really does um well you've shared a wealth of knowledge to us uh today and we we really appreciate it. i love this product um, like I said I'm planning on using it for um, some of my DM, my uh, my DM prep because I'm gonna be mm -hmm. honest I'm a very very lazy DM like I already just do bullet points <laughs> so so having a tool that's like oh, well that's going there oh, I'll add that there too oh that's cool um, this is mm -hmm. a very good tool for this especially with like the interactions of like the uh, the mer like the merchants being in special locations. That is an awesome yeah, tool yeah. for determining if you like to do like the random wandering special character. That's some a tool you could use that for. So I really enjoy it. Um, yeah. Before we yeah. before we close out here, I, I have to ask, um, mm -hmm. and I think you briefly touched on it uh, before. Um, is there a, a special project that you're working on that you'd like to give give our Crit Nation a little bit of a, a little bit of a taste of? I know you touched on something earlier. Yeah. Um, yep. So um, I'm, a, as I mentioned, a massive fan of board games. But um, yeah, I'm making a new adventure called Tables of Doom Two, um, where I'm I'm always trying to within these adventures increase the randomness, uh, increase the um, the the variety of things that could happen. So um, basically, what it is is kind of board game style. You go through a map. Uh, you journey through a, an isometric wilderness map at first. Later, you go to a dungeon map. Uh, and there's different pathways. So you can see the whole map 
at once, but you don't necessarily know what each thing is. Okay. So as you're traveling on, um, you you get to locations, um, and um, I don't know, um, you must have heard of uh, Incarnate, the map map making uh, hell yeah website. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan. So um, I, I made a, I made the maps in Incarnate, um, and yeah, so. It's a forest. It's been quite close in, and there's locations. There's a cave over here. There's a bridge here. There's some sort of ruined structure here. There's a abandoned mine here. There's uh, right at the top. There's a temple-y, crypty-looking thing. Um, and each location has a um, a little bit of parchment with an entry number on it. And when you get to that location, you turn to that entry number. In the pathways between, um, there's a number on each path. So when you get to you're traveling up this path, going north from the mine, for example. There's a three on the path. So um, you using a standard deck of playing cards, you flip three cards from the timer deck, which represents the time that's passed. You don't want that to run out. And then you flip three cards from the, um, the encounter deck. And so you might pull out an ace of diamonds, uh, an, an eight of clubs, and, um, and a queen or something like that. Uh, a queen... The queens represent traps. The aces represent items that you've found. Uh, and any club that you pull out, um, is a monster. So, um, it's a, it's a modified plane that you, you only take select cards from it. It's a, um, 28, 29 cards you end up with and the remaining 23 cards you use as your timer deck. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm working on at the moment. That so, sounds um, awesome. Mm-hmm. It's a, a combination of game book and board game, basically. And I'm hoping to get that finished in like three weeks time. That'll be up on the, up on the guild when it's done kind of thing. The first installment in that is uh, Tables of Doom 1, which is um, kind of the precursor to the toolbox in a lot of ways. It's, okay. it's two short adventures uh, in one book, and a lot of the encounters are determined by rolling on random tables and uh, items that you find and that sort of thing. So, and I'll make yeah. sure there's a link in the show notes for that as well. Yeah, I'll send all those it. links. Send those through. Um so uh before we uh first of all uh before we close out here i want to say thank you very much for um coming on the show and talking to us about uh the solo adventurers toolbox um thanks for having me yet again it's great would you like to give yourself one more plug yeah uh i'll just say if you want to find the toolbox it's um been sitting at number one on the the dm's guild bestseller list for the last six weeks uh, it's just dropped to number two. It's been knocked off the top spot by a product called The Faithful of Eberron, um, which looks really good. Uh, but, yeah, it's gone dmsguild.com. If you haven't found DMs Guild uh, yet, you need to check it out. It's an amazing website full of amazing content, uh, you know, created by the D&D community. And, um, yeah, and uh, if once you find that, go and click on the link. 5e solo game books and you'll be able to see all my products on there so dm's guild has just uh, recently put up a whole bunch of uh, really helpful tags and one that they've added is solo adventures so if you go in and type in solo adventures you'll see every single solo adventure that's on the guild Uh, also um, go on to facebook and type in dungeons and dragons solo adventures and you'll see my facebook group which has about 1500 members now so uh, it's growing Growing fast, and we've got a huge list of every available fifth edition solo adventure in the pin post there. There's uh, there's a couple of free solo adventures on there as well. There's all sorts of resources that are current that are always getting put up by members of the page. So 
it's a good good little page to be part of, I think, if you're interested in that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So yeah, thanks. no, they're going well. They're going really well. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed your experience here with us. Um, yeah, always. You came yeah. back, so that's awesome. <laughs> thank you for having me. Uh, all right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Paul, for joining us today. And you have a fantastic day. And keep being awesome. All right. All right. Yeah. Thanks, right. guys. Thanks so much. You're welcome. See you, you next time. Thank you again, once again, Paul, for joining us, uh, a.k.a. BC Beats, which is baller alias, by the way. Mm-hmm. So... Before we move on to our final segment, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Lore Smith. Each episode, we will draw another lucky subscriber's name, and they will win the best-selling adventure, The Claws of Madness. Compliments of Lore Smith. Lore Smith is a small indie team of creative artists who remember exploring the realms together with friends, finding incredible places, and meeting colorful characters along the way. They set out to deliver an experience that sparks those lasting impressions that pushed them to create their first standalone adventure, The Claws of Madness. This best-selling adventure is one that you don't want to miss. Ian, what? who's our winner today? Our winner today is... Well, it's a mouthful. Pashbinder X Gaming. When it comes crashing down and it hurts inside Congratulations, uh, Fash Binding X Gaming. We hope you enjoy your adventure. Please, uh, if you do, let Lord Smith know, leave him a review. All of you guys, uh, check out the links to, we have links in our show notes to BC Beat Solo Adventure. Click on that affiliate link. There'll also be a link at our website. Uh, check it out. 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 Come check on, it out. Brandon. Dance like you did in the pre show posting. Oh, yeah. Oh, I cannot wow. believe you posted that. What is wrong with you? Many things, but we all, all know that. Uh, the That's fans true. would rather see my hips move than your titties. You do not know that. Okay. Your hips may not lie, but my milkshake brings them all to the yard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my God. That's just right off the top of uh, That's funny. Uh, where are we at? Um, so, our first Unearthed Tips and Trick today is the character concept, word of mouth knowledge. I love this idea. Now, I, I originally heard like this an, uh, an idea like this uh, in the uh, a, a very short tweet somewhere, but it wasn't fleshed out. So I went through and I fleshed it out very thoroughly. An illiterate bar of lore, or another character who focuses on the gaining of knowledge, but the bard I think works the best. Well, yeah. All of his knowledge and lore in history is from word of mouth. Every seeker is shared as a long line of information chained from one person to the next, adding useless details into the string for added fun. Have you guys seen Ant-Man? Yep. The guy who... Louise. Louise, who does the, the storytelling. This is what this is. So so I wrote up a short example here. So, I heard a secret from Jondon, the loner at the Russian Boar Tavern, during a wine tasting, which was sweets, and, you know, I don't like sweets, but there was some bourbon toe that really saved the day, which was wonderful. Yeah, anyway, he was telling me about this girl of a friend we used to, you know, go thieving with, uh, named Rosea, who was the first girl I ever kissed, though it was only on the cheek. It was nice, though. Anyway, she heard it from a thief named Dracus, whose mother is a maidservant for this big-shot adventurer who is, you know, retired now, but is loaded. Uh, she told Dracus, who told Rosea, who told my friend that informed me about the secret at the retired adventurer's party over in Waterdeep, who heard it from a spellcaster who was actually there in the crags when it happened. 
the fuck? <laughs> oh my god, if you can just make shit up on the fly, this would be an amazing character concept. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need to make an arcana check. Actually, yeah, let me tell you about the signal. Signal, you know, the sigil. I heard it from uh, this girl down at the the, the tavern. You know, I'm, I'm not even going to do that again because that was a lot, but you guys get the idea. What do you guys think of this? <laughs> well, the base, the, that actually is how bards used to learn stuff back in the day. So it really fit. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, you're right. You're you're right on. And so this really uh, Sorry, fits that sort of theme. But yeah. if you're a guy who can BS his way through, or what you can do is just write a collection of these things that are general enough. That it's just a piece of knowledge you know and you can just toss them in. You can write several of these. And I would say after you get through like 10 of them, you can just reuse some of them because they pro- the players would probably forget. Yep. You know what I mean? What do you what do you think, Brandon? How to get so irritated so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> as a as a player at the table? Yeah. Why? It's just just because we're we're sitting there and they're telling the stories like we should go to this place because so and so knows this other person who told me who also knows this other person who came forward and they said that there's a special treasure here. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's true because he's got a good reputation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I thought this was hilarious and, and I love the I love Louise from Ant Man. I think everybody loves it. Actually, I think one of my favorite clips I saw online was like I want to hear the adventures retold from this guy. <laughs> they should have done that. <laughs> So, anyways, I really like this concept. I think it w- requires a little bit more prep than than most concepts because, I mean, if you sat down and wrote like 10 of these, you'd be set for a while, but um, it is a little bit more work unless you can just ad-lib stuff right from the, right from the hip. Um, definitely could get on some people's nerves, but who gives a fuck? Um, so, that'll do it for our character concept, the word of mouth knowledge. Ian, would you tell, like to tell us about our monster variant today? Sure. Our master variant today is a beast tamer. The origin of this is a scout. And how you modify it is you take the, sh- the short sword, get rid of it, put the whip in its place, and then you replace the longbow with a short bow. Nay, nay. <laughs> Don't you dare. Troy is still pissed off Don't about that. Don't you dare. <laughs> Crack that whip and watch me nay, nay. Stop it. <sighs> the whip, new features. Whip. Watch me nay, nay. Sorry. I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I think we know what's going to be the death of Justin one day. <laughs> <laughs> the, the new features for the uh, Beast Tamer here is the Beast Tamer Companion. The Beast Tamer gains a Beast Companion that accompanies them on their adventures and is trained to fight alongside the Tamer. The Beast obeys uh, Tamer's commands as best as it can, and it takes its turns on the Tamer's initiatives, though it does not take an action unless the Tamer commands it to. The Tamer can use the action to verbally command it to attack, dash, disengage, dodge, or the help action. And the uh, recommended pet is the panther, for it can bounce. Yeah, gives you a lot of control. Yeah. On top of that, the beast tamer gains two legendary actions, choosing from the options below. Only one legendary option can be used at a time, and only at the end of another ca- creature's turn. The tamer regains spent legendary actions at the start of its turn. Attack. The beast tamer pet makes one melee attack. Focus on the grapple to keep them pinned. Let's say there's two... Well, that was the copied text, okay? <laughs> What's the other a- legendary action, Justin? Or it can take... You want to finish it? Or uh, it can take the dash, disengage, dodge, or help action. Or it can take the... Or it can take the attack, dash, disengage, or dodge actions, or help. Yeah. Um. So, uh, we had an episode where I got really impassioned by the, um, the ranger. And I decided I needed a monster that fit that. Welcome. Ranger. 
<laughs> Not to be confused with the Power Ranger. Uh, I decided <laughs> I wanted a monster to do that. But one of the shortcomings, which everyone that runs a, the Beastmaster Hunter knows, is the, the attacking limitation. So in this case, I yeah. treated it as a legendary action. So in one round, not only can the, the, the tamer fight, but so can the, the pet. Now the tamer is gimped a little bit because the, the whip damage <laughs> and the, uh, bow damage is lower, which keeps it pretty well within the CR of even with the multi attack. Yeah. But this gives uh, a, a single monster encounter a feel of, of teamwork and, 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 um, just a little bit of love, especially with the the pants the panther being able to pounce and grant um, the prone position, giving uh, ranged advantage to the uh, the tamer with their whip. What do you guys think of this? Cracking that whip, the licorice whip. Dun dun dun. <laughs> I think it make her a fun fight. I'm actually always happy to see a beast companion work. Yeah. <laughs> I hope this works. <laughs> <laughs> get an email if he does like, your shit's broken again. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got one of those yet, but yeah, I make mistakes like typos all the time though. So, um, yeah, I really like this thing. I wanted a good beast beast tamer uh, uh, monster, and this was a good way to do that and still keep it relatively balanced. Um, I think it would be fun, and I think you could have a really good storyline where the players. Are, I love misunderstandings, and having the players kill this creature, this this tamer's pet, um, can really create an opportunity of loss because what if let's say it's a half a young halfling in the panthers as pet right and the players kill the panther first and now this person who is an enemy stops mid-combat to start crying the and and tearing up over the loss of their their companion that they've had since they were a child or something um it's not for me it's another opportunity when the players become murder hobos to add a little bit of remorse and regret to the fight unless you're steve <laughs> or Dennis, <laughs> <laughs> skullfucker. Uh, Apparently, Ed says sticks and stones may break my bones, but whips and chains excite me. Yeah, that's Rihanna, right? So that'll do it for our monster variant. Our encounter of the podcast is the One Hundred Monster Hunts. Insert link. <laughs> it's a bounty advertisement. My ring has been stolen. I chased the thief into the old swamp, but quickly turned and ran when the carrion appeared. It grabbed the bandit with its rubbery tendrils and dragged him into the water, stagnant depths. I am but a poor old man. There's no way I can face such a beast. Any adventurer is willing to slay the beast and return my ring to me shall forever have my gratitude. You can find me near the Fountainside Tavern, across the road from the Dilly Dally General Store. <laughs> <laughs> Look for a bedroll near the left alleyway uh, and ask for Grethen. This is interesting. <laughs> so I found this uh this PDF on DM's Guild called 100 Monster Hunts. It's basically 100 bil- uh, billboard or or what are the, what are the- Job boards. Bolton board. Yeah, it's a it's a big Bolton job board thing. And it has these really a bunch of really interesting encounters. In this one it sets it up with a basically an advertisement that he wrote up on a board. And then it gives you a little quest detail saying Greethan is a homeless man living in the streets who had his late wife's ring stolen from him by a bandit. After following the bandit, he saw him eaten alive by an Utuga. I don't know if that's how you say that. Otuga. The uh Otugia Otuga. 
Well, two- uh, uh, Tioff. Master Manual, page 248. Yeah, that thing. It lurks <laughs> It lurks in stagnant waters of the old swamp and lures people in by tricking them deceptively uh, with telepathy. The party will find the rings stuck between the creature's teeth. Where did oh, that tiger fun. keep the 16 silver? <laughs> um, I really like this, event, this uh, encounter idea. Um, it's very simple. It's a recover the item instead of slay the monster. But in this case, you probably got to slay the monster. But it, you really don't need to. And that's why this jumped out at me. It just says you got to recover this thing. Now, sure, the ring is between the creature's teeth. Um, but I think this is a great opportunity for a rogue to shine. A good stealth mission, sneaking in and pulling this thing off its teeth. If you can get the jump on it, you can probably avoid an entire like combat encounter. Or was it with telekinesis spell? Just this thing. Or mage, mage hand. Yeah. <laughs> Either of those. So this is a real... That, and that's why this stood out to me. It's because the goal isn't just to kill the monster. It's you have to recover this thing. And there's so many different tools in your toolbox. Let's eh, see what I did there. <laughs> we just had, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, to, to recover it. And it seems like a straightforward go kill this thing and then get it. But you don't really have to. So I like to, to put players in those situations to see what kind of solution they have. Now everyone says, I need experience. I need to kill anything. But you don't need to kill something to get experience. Just complete the request. So... What do you guys think about this adventure or this encounter? I think it'd be fun. And the concept that uh, what, what if one of the players die and they finally kill it and they get the ring and they're like, yes! And then at the end of the game session, like, you know, you didn't have to kill it. All you need to do is get the ring. <laughs> be like, what? Especially if it's a hard, hard encounter, right? A really yeah. challenging fight. <laughs> like, they're getting their ass kicked and halfway through, wait, 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 wait! Um, Dennis, while you're in that thing's mouth, Hold his mouth open for a second so I can grab it. <laughs> I don't know how long I can hold it. Just so I can get the ring. I can't hold it any longer. I got the ring. I'm going to die. Oh, well, I got the ring already. See you later. <laughs> um, anyways, I like this encounter. Um, definitely check out the uh, 100 uh, Monster Hunts. Uh, I'm thinking we'll do a sh- an episode on it um, because it, there's so many good things. So it'll be a whole episode of just all these great different encounters we can talk about. So I'd love to see someone get creative like a barbarian grabs a giant log. Jumps into its mouth and just sticks it in there. Pops up, so it holds his mouth open. It's like, okay. Just runs off. <laughs> I like stuff like that. So that, That'll do it for our encounter. Um, the bounty advertisement, the stolen ring from the 100 Monster Hunts. The magic item for this week is the glove of the augmented hand. This black leather glove is embossed with an image of a floating hand carrying a small dagger. While wearing this glove, the spell mage hand is augmented. Mage Hand spell can now lift up to 20 pounds. Additionally, it can wield a weapon without the heavy or two-handed property. You can use your action to command your Mage Hand to make an attack on a target. You can see it within range with disadvantage. Okay. What do you guys think about this? I think it's useful for the uh, Arcane Trickster Rogue. That's actually, uh, this item was designed for an Arcane Trickster. Um, there's a lot of limitations on the mage hand, weight being one, the fact you can't attack with it being another. Well, to be fair, it is a cantrip. That, fair, you're, you're absolutely right, it is a cantrip. Um, I decided that instead of trying to come up with an item that imbues them with some unique, um, power, how about enhancing something that could be useful in more, more ways than one? True. Because I cannot count how many times I've been asked, why can I attack with my mage hand? Because it's not that strong. It's not that strong. It's not that um, 
agile. Like there's a special feature in the arcane uh, or in the arcane trickster that lets you pick locks with it because it's not as nimble as a normal hand. Um, it's like asking a three year old to attack somebody. Yeah. Um, Ed actually asked why disadvantage. Um, because it requires uh, a melee target or advantage to get a sneak attack bonus. And I didn't want my arcane trickster getting sneak attack all the time from a safe distance with a floating hand. Um, and it kind of balances. So there is a chance that they can offset the disadvantage yeah. and still have a standard chance. But it's never going to be as nimble as their normal attacking um and that was kind of why i thought that it needed that restriction i haven't played with it a lot yet so i don't know if it needs that that was me trying to balance it use a mage hand to uh swipe a dagger off your enemy and stab him with it <laughs> what he gets it i i honestly i was reading tate's thing using so mage hand to steal a dagger from your enemy and stab him with it oh that is pretty cool once Especially again for they're not paying attention <laughs> yeah it's like Whoa! There's a good. Um, and I know uh, this. This is something that's a little more out of my <laughs> my comfort zone when it comes to balancing. Yeah. Because I'm not. Players can be creative as shit, and Mage Hand is one of those things that there's like a million and one uses, and it only takes one to make it unbalanced. So I tried to be yeah. very careful with that. <laughs> um, but I didn't want them getting a bunch of sneak attacks off with it or something like that. Anyways, because then I started to treat it kind of like the. Uh, the guardian, what is the guardian spell that makes the weapons? Oh, um. Spiritual weapon. It was getting kind of close to that kind of area mm-hmm. thing, you know? Um, but anyways, uh, I like this magic item. I thought it was a cool way to enhance the, uh, the arcane trickster. Obviously, a regular wizard or spellcaster with mage hand can use it too. Um, but for, the, it is designed specifically for an arcane trickster. So, uh, that'll do it for our magic item, the glove of the augmented hand. Ian, do you want to take our Dungeon Master tip? Why, most certainly. Our Dungeon Master tip of the day is, comes from Game Master Stash. And today's Dungeon Master tip is small spaces. Adventurers are used to five-foot squares and the hallways being the narrowest possibilities. So, when you shove them to a tight space, like an ever-shrinking tunnel or under a house, their usual approach won't work. Well, I guess maybe unless you're a halfling, but well, it doesn't have to talk into itself. Uh, <laughs> the fighter becomes no good because there is no room to fight. The stealthy character has nowhere to hide, and with everyone in a single f- file, the wizard in the back is pretty vulnerable. <laughs> it's nearly impossible to carry a torch while crawling, so characters with dark vision will have to lead the others by touch and sound. The key to using these small spaces to their max level is to add fear to an already uncomfortable situation. Maybe they're fleeing something or chasing someone. Have them hear things or have them see movement just past their vision. When a when creating a combat encounter in such a space, it helps to think outside the box. And remember, anything you throw at them will be harder to fight for the group. Use things like this every so often to help keep your players on their toes and deflates any potential big heads. I got to say, that would absolutely suck to encounter a gelatinous cube in this situation. <laughs> yeah, um, I read this on the DMs. Crawl back, crawl back! I read this on Game Master Stash, and this is something I don't think we've talked a lot, and, and they made a really good point that, when was the last time you were in an adventure where something, a metric mar- less than five foot squared came into play? Not very often. Um, and so that kind of goes back to like those, um, 
those those variations you can add to your uh, adventure. Well, everyone scales a wall. Well, what if there's like fucking barbed wire or something on it? But you can you know knock out a small hole, but only one person can fit through. And actually, what this made me think of is like the uh, first episode of the anime Goblin Slayer. <sighs> Dude, I literally started to play, watch that the other day, and and it wouldn't play. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, so I'm gonna watch again yeah. tomorrow. I got tomorrow off. But. But, but, like, the main character in that one, though, is a adventurer whose specialization is, well, killing goblins. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also, like, criticized the fact that, my little spoiler alert, the party that died basically died because they were unprepared and had, when they managed to, oh, they're just goblins, we'll kill them, no problem, they're pretty weak. It's like, yeah, but I specialize in killing goblins. This is why I wear lightweight armor for maneuverability. And your idiot fighter got killed because his sword is too big for confined spaces. Because goblins live in confined spaces. This is why I use short swords. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Goblin Slayer is a jacked up anime. The first, epi- the first episode was pretty jacked up, but the ones after that so far, anyway, haven't, hasn't been so bad. I'll have to watch it. Maybe I'll watch it tomorrow after I edit some of the What's show stuff. On? Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll. But but apparently, it was originally a series of, of light novels mm-hmm. that became a manga, but apparently the manga, unlike the light novels, dialed it up to, like, berserk levels of, what the crap? <laughs> yeah. um, I really like this tip. This is a really great tip. Thank you, uh, Game Master Stash. I think this is very valuable knowledge, and I think DMs can use this for all kinds of evil. Yep. Um, you know, we've had the questions, you know, what should I do if my Ooh. character player is too fast or my character is just strong and mows through anything? Put them in a confined pace, that pl- put them in a confined space and then pour oil down it and light it on fire. <laughs> or, or they fight small enemies that to them this is a normal sized home. Oh, yeah. like or, or, yeah, like even whether it's, uh, I mean, I can't think, like a pixie or something. Or goblin. Or go- goblin. <laughs> or just the fuck I'm rabbit. thinking really small, rabbit like raccoon. military crawling, you know? Right. A rabbit raccoon is called a scratch. Like, he got three days to live. (laughs) (laughs) They can't get out and it's just scratching them repeatedly. Cat did that shit to me. It hurt like hell. Um, (laughs) That'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip. Uh, Small spaces. Thank you, Game Master Stash. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't Don't be a dick. dick. And you can avoid dickitude by... Using a solo adventure to build your character's backstory and history in a form that isn't just written. Oh, that was clever. Yeah. Thank you. I had to, I literally changed that player tip three times today. <laughs> yeah, um, um, we, we, we always, as players, we always write these very cool backstories about what our character did and how they became a hero and all that stuff. With solo adventures, you can literally live that adventure, that story, and you can tell the players about it. Um, the other thing that's interesting is there's a lot of people who want to always that play the older stuff want to say, Hey, how do I, I want to start the characters at nor as like zero level, right? You know, mm-hmm. this is a tool you could use to do that. And you could start them off in a, a, in a village and the village is assaulted and they're forced to pick up their pitchfork and, and defend it. And you can use the, the solo adventures toolbox or any one of the previously, any of the published, uh, adventures by BC Beats or, um, any other sources to really live out that kind of story. So when you come to the table of the history of your character, it's not just a paragraph. You might shorten it to a paragraph, but you can remember exact scenarios, the name of the, the, the big guy who did it, all these different things to really make your character truly fleshed out in a way that somebody who just wrote it can't. Yep. What do you guys think about that tip? I thought it was clever. Like I said. I think it'd be more fun than just sitting down and being like, okay, so what, what was I? Okay, I was a farmer. 
Farm was attacked. Uh, I became an adventurer. Yay. No, no, now you got this entire adventure work that you can do yourself and be like, I have this awesome story, but I can't write it all down on the sheet of paper. Well, and I think it works better, too, because there's some people who don't find that part of the game interesting. So if I don't like to write backstories, I can run something like this and play the game as my backstory and then talk about it. Back in the day when I was the E-Level Zero Farmer Militiamen. It's <laughs> <laughs> your very own prequel. <laughs> That's basically what it is. So... Um, but anyways, I think this is a really powerful tool. Um, like I said, whether it's uh, BC Beats content or somebody else's, utilize this. Um, the one thing we didn't really talk about is that this is a powerful tool, um, to play and test character concepts. Yeah. And different combinations of abilities. Cause, you know, you hear about it from the guys in D&D Character Lab, you know, they started, uh, their show because they compulsively build characters, yep. right? And in so many, they'll never get to play them. Solo Adventures will allow you to do that. So, um, so definitely check them out. That'll do it for our player tip. Don't be a dick. And you can avoid dickitude by using Solo Adventures to build your backstory. Yeah. Um, so that'll do it for our show today. Before we close out, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of Jeff Stevens. It's been a long few days of travel, and the adventurers are tired of eating rations and sleeping on the ground. The road opens to a small town with an inviting tavern. The smells of grilling meat and ale fill their nostrils, and the sound of laughter and music float out the tavern's door. Unlucky for the adventurers, they've stumbled upon Dragon's Breath Tavern. What starts out as a pleasant evening of food, drink, and entertainment soon evolves into an adventure that takes the party into and under Dragon's Breath Tavern. The adventure includes roleplay, exploration, combat, and a dice game called Demon Dice. Brandon. Yeah. Who's our winner today? Our winner today is Ian Lewis21, the first person to win all of our prizes. Like ESOB. Yeah. And we've lost a follower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reason he listens. <laughs> so uh, congratulations, uh, Ian Lewis, uh, 21, on all your, your, your wins. Um, we hope you enjoy this adventure. If you do, please let Jeff Stevens know. Leave him a review. Um, that's some of the best help you can give any content creator. So, uh, please join us on our next episode where we will be hearing feedback from you, our heroes. We will be having our live show. So please join us. <laughs> our, uh, our live show will be on November 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern. So please come and join us. Uh, we're going to stream right to YouTube. It'll be live stream. No editing, so you'll get to jump in and add to the comments and terrorize us much like Ed does or judge us much like Sam does. Um, <laughs> you know, you'll be able to really get involved. Um, I have a special plan for that, so I'm going to keep the topic and stuff under wraps for now. But uh, please uh, come and join us. Tell all your friends. If you're not doing anything, it's Sunday night. What the fuck could you be doing? Nothing. It's, it's Sunday night. Nobody does shit on Sunday. So come join us. Come hang out. Come kick it. Even if you jump in and say hi. Hi. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so please come and join us on our live show. Tell a friend. Like us on Facebook. All that, or come follow us. Follow us on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. It does exist. Yeah, I forget. 
If you have any feedback on our tips and tricks or topics you'd like us to discuss, please send them to us. You can email them to us at CritAcademy at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook at CritAcademy. Also, come and find us, follow us on YouTube. Uh, type in CritAcademy at YouTube because I'm pretty sure we're not cool enough to have a little at CritAcademy thing. We hope you've enjoyed your experience here at the Crit Academy. If you did, you can help others find the show by leaving a hopefully five-star review on iTunes or platform of your choice. Or just send us a message telling us how much you enjoy the show. If you have any feedback, unearthed tips and tricks, or a topic you'd like to discuss, please send them to us. You can email them to us at critacademy at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at critacademy. This episode is brought to you by our generous Patreon donors. Head on over to our Patreon page and check out all the cool reward tiers. If you think our show is worth just $1 a month, please um, come on in and support us. If that doesn't interest you, you can um, commission Brandon to do some art, full-color body art for $12 line, or for $20, or line art for $8. <laughs> $12, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> or go to, uh, our, go to our CritAcademy.com and click on our uh, click on our. Uh, Pick up a t-shirt. Check out our merchandise. Uh, while you're there, make sure to subscribe to our show at CritAcademy.com so you can we can help you on your future adventures, as well as be entered to win cool prizes each and every week. You'll also find links to our fellowship members uh, our fellowship members there. If you haven't listened to them already, check out D&D Character Lab. Um, Garen and Dan do an awesome job of creating very thorough characters and arguing their validity in-game. Um, of course, you have... Uh, Interparty conflict. Gabe and Jeff doing a wonderful job of answering your questions to help deliver the best tabletop experience possible. You can also head on over to uh, DMs Guild. I can't recommend Jeff Stevens' content enough. He's got some really amazing content coming out right now. Um, so check him out. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Brandon. I'm your co-host, Dan. Thanks for listening. Keep, Keep your, your blades sharp and spells prepared, prepared heroes. heroes.